For ReasonableTheology.org, I'm Clay Craby. Let's take a look at five important covenants of the Old Testament. The Old Testament contains 39 books that are categorized as books of the law, history, poetry, wisdom, and prophetical books. Now, despite its diverse contents, it's much more than a simple anthology. The Old Testament is tied together by a successive string of five major covenants that God made with his people. Well, what is a covenant? A covenant is a binding agreement between two or more parties. When we speak of biblical covenants, we are referring to instances where God has entered into an agreement with mankind that involves both promises and responsibilities for each party. While there are many covenants and promises found in the Old Testament, a study of the following will give you a framework to better understand redemptive history. Now, quick note, this is not meant to be a discussion on covenant theology, but is instead a look at the Old Testament through the lens of these particular covenants. Now, five of the primary covenants in the Old Testament are the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New Covenant. Each of these covenants is reflective of two of the main categories of covenants known in the ancient Near East. There's the suzerain-vassal type covenant. This term harkens back to a time when a king would make promises to his subjects, or a treaty between kings would be uh, what depended on obedience to specific terms. You can think of this covenant as a conditional promise. There's also a royal grant covenant. Unlike the suzerain-vassal agreements, a royal grant requires no action on the part of the beneficiary. It is an unconditional promise given from one party to another. So let's first look at the Noahic covenant. We see the Noahic covenant come out in Genesis chapter 9. After having sent a global flood to destroy the wickedness that had become so prevalent on earth after the fall, God promised Noah, and by extension all of humanity, to never again destroy the world with a flood. Genesis 9 verse 11 says, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is an example of a royal grant covenant. There's nothing that Noah or his descendants must do to ensure that this promise is fulfilled. Instead, this promise finds its validity purely in God's faithfulness. Secondly, we have the Abrahamic covenant. We see this in Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." Years after the flood, pride has led the people to rebel against God by constructing the Tower of Babel. After having dispersed them by confusing their languages, God would eventually choose one man and one nation 
as the instrument of his blessing to the entire world. In this covenant, God promised Abraham three specific things. First, that he will be made into a great nation. We saw this in Genesis 12, verse 2. Secondly, this nation will be led into the promised land. Chapter 12, verse 1. And then thirdly, through him, that is through Abraham, all people of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. The Abrahamic covenant is in part a suzerain vassal covenant, as God required first that Abraham get up, leave his home and his family, and follow God to the land that he would show him. However, some aspects of the Abrahamic covenant are also in line with an unconditional royal grant. For example, God's promise to make Abraham's descendants into a great nation and bless all the nations through his lineage is an unconditional promise from God. Thirdly, we have the Mosaic Covenant. We see this in the book of Exodus, chapters 19 to 24. These chapters are key to understanding both redemptive history and the history of Israel as a nation. A conditional promise, the Mosaic Covenant is dependent on the people's response to the law he gives through his servant Moses. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, we read, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God tells Moses that if Israel obeys, they will be his chosen people, his treasured possession. Ultimately, these blessings will be extended to all people. This conditional promise is a suzerain vassal covenant and brings Israel closer to realizing the promises made by God in the Abrahamic covenant. Well, the fourth covenant we'll look at is the Davidic covenant. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the people disobeyed the commands made in the previous covenant, God made the Davidic covenant as a means to bring them back into relationship with himself. The key passage for this unconditional promise is 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 17. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Here God makes a royal grant covenant to David and his descendants that his house will rule over Israel forever. 
The promise of an eternal kingdom is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who is of David's kingly lineage. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33 tells us, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Although this is an unconditional covenant, there is a part of it which has a contingency. If the ruler of Israel is obedient, he will be blessed. If not, he will be cursed. As the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles show us, Israel had many examples of both disobedient and obedient kings, which eventually led to the nation's exile. Well, lastly, let's look at the New Covenant. We find this at first in Jeremiah chapter 31. Despite the failure of God's people to live up to the covenants that were made, God graciously made a new one with his people. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, we read, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. In this passage, God makes several distinct promises. First, he would give them the ability and the desire to follow him. He would change their hearts and give them a zeal for obedience. Secondly, he will be their God and they will be his people. And thirdly, he will forgive the sins of his people. This promise finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ, as it's through him we receive forgiveness for our sins and are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, who enables us to seek after the things of God. Well, there you have it, a very quick overview of five of the Old Testament's covenants. These are not the only covenants of the Old Testament, but studying these five promises from God allows for a fuller understanding of the unity of Scripture and of salvation history and of the Old Testament as a whole. If you'd like to learn more about the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New Covenant, be sure to stop by reasonabletheology.org slash five covenants. Thanks for listening.